Welcome back to Two Homers and a Realist. This is the game, post-game pod, following the OU-BYU game. I stuttered, and the team stuttered quite a bit. The Sooners win 31-24, to but it was not the game we expected. It's not the game that we wanted to see. We wanted to see something that was relaxing and enjoyable, and we got a high-stress affair. I'm Steve. I'm Connor. Lucas. We are here outside enjoying some... Wonderful cigars from Tobacco Exchange, our post-game sponsor. Remind you to go to one of their three convenient locations throughout the metro area, Moore, Edmond, Oklahoma City. I was up at their Edmond store for the Liga Pravada event last night, and it was wonderful. They had all kinds of great items on sale, and at least through this morning, they still had some inventory available, so I don't know if that sale is still available. If anyone wants to run up there on Sunday, um, and, and take advantage of that. I would certainly encourage it. So what are we smoking tonight, Lucas? Tonight we're smoking an Espinosa Crema, and it's a Nicaraguan. It's, uh, it's pretty mellow, but we actually smoked cigars earlier during the Oklahoma State game, so as a second cigar, this is really hitting the spot. Yeah, very nice. Good Thanks. smoke for sure. Thanks to Tobacco Exchange. Well, the Sooners win, and it was what I would call and I'm stealing this line from Lucas. I'm going to go ahead and say that because he's going to claim it anyway. A Jekyll and Hyde affair. Um, You know, and that really is true of both the offense and the defense, but especially the offense, um, where we just saw helter-skelter of good and bad. Things would start working and be very successful. Then all of a sudden we'd go away from that, and we'd have just a pathetically bad series. Um... Very, very frustrating to see that happen. We were going to talk a lot about the defense and criticize the defense quite a bit. So we can get into that. We'll definitely be talking about the fact that Dylan Gabriel went out with what appears to be a concussion. Jackson Arnold came in and finished the game. Um, we have some good, good and bad to say about that as well. So let me turn it over to you guys and see what, what are your takeaways right away out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Jekyll and Hyde's a really good way to put it. Um, so well done to both of you, uh, Steve for saying it, Lucas for thinking it. I guess no, I, I uh, it's just frustrating. It's it, we can be happy about the win, and I know a lot of fans will say you know a win is a win, and but to go out and perform the way we did today after what we saw last week, um, putting together our best performance of the season last week, and and maybe over the tenure of of this staff uh, since BV came in. Um, and then to go out today and, and see a bunch of the same stuff that has gotten us beat in the past and has just led to these close, stressful games um, that we shouldn't be in. There's no reason we should be stressed out late in the fourth quarter against this BYU team. Um, There's just no, no excuse for it. Our defense looked like something from the Grinch years getting ran all over. I mean, it was just a, it was a poor, poor performance all around, I would say. So frustrating. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy we got out with a win. This podcast will be a lot more gloomy and uh, miserable should we have lost today. Um, but at the same time, those performances like that are not going to get you to the, the level that you want to be um, come next year in the SEC. I'm disappointed that we thought the offense would be better than it was after last week's game. I mean, we we talked about it. Jay specifically said on the pod that he hasn't put together back-to-back good offensive games, play calling, since he's been here. Levy, Levy. obviously. Um, even though Gabriel got hurt, 
you put in a true freshman who doesn't have hardly any time, which we talked about earlier because we weren't pull, pulling away from teams and finishing them off where he would get more opportunity to come in and actually get some game time outside of was Tulsa the last game. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sad in and of itself. Uh, or maybe get did he get in Iowa State? He, yeah. Okay. Uh, One he, of those games was his Iowa fourth State. game. It was his fourth game. He got in for a play that he didn't end up playing. Maybe so that was against Iowa State. Did he play count. against Cincinnati? I can't remember. No, I don't think he played against Cincinnati. Okay. So, anyway, it was uh, throwing him into the fire against what, in all accounts beforehand, was a horrible defense. Again, for like the fourth week in a row, we've played these defenses in the Big 12 that are past the 100 mark in total team defense for the NCAA. And again, we couldn't capitalize. And then the defense, Stutzman apparently had food poisoning. Um, and the flu, I guess. And possibly the flu. I don't know which. It, it all depends. He was ill. He was ill. But we they did what we wanted to see. They moved him back to the Mike linebacker and put Kip Lewis in, which we thought was the combination that would really solidify the defense. And it turned out to where... All of them were missing their gaps. The linebackers, to me, played horribly today. Um, their worst performance of the year by far. The defensive line, no push most of the game. The the secondary was soft that we've seen a lot of times in coverage. Thank, thankfully, Billy Bowman with the 100-yard interception for a touchdown essentially was the Jekyll and Hyde part of the, of the defense that, that really won us the game. If you look at it, it was seven points and we win by seven. But they also gave up. 24 to a team that it had been scoring eight points, 13 points. I mean, six points in conference. They were a, a joke, and they only averaged 18 points a game in conference, and they scored 24 on us and made you know made the defense look very bad a lot of the game. And I think so, something to tack onto that is everyone, even myself in the past, I'm like, oh, you know. OU's going to get everyone's best shot no matter what. At some point, that can't be the, the line. It, at some point, yes, we are going to get everybody's best shot. That's no excuse not to go put someone away. Well, they can't just dial up best shot. Either. Right, yeah. You can't just decide, I'm going to play my best flip, game. Right? You don't decide at the first of the season, all right, which of these games are you going to play the perfect game? Yep. And it's going to be the OU game. It doesn't work like that. So I've got several th- things to check off here that are all coaching-related, and I'm going to tie them together. But we can expand on any of these after I get through my little list here. The first thing is that Brent Venables apparently, obviously, at least empirical evidence, struggles on the road. He has struggled on the road with his teams through now almost two full seasons. Yes, we're better, but it's concerning that we can't seem to get it together and do what we need to do, be disciplined, minimize penalties, control the game when we're on the road. Um, not in any particular order, but a number of things. I guess to start with offense, um, it's gimmicky. It's still gimmicky. We're still doing gimmicky stuff. One of the things that's gimmicky that I just can't wrap my hand around is why do we have now, in this case, Stoops lining up as a running back? This was the 126th ranked rushing defense in the country that we face today. And we had tremendous success when we had a traditional running back running. I think he averaged like seven yards a carry or something. Yeah, I think it was like 7.6 or something and he, like But that. he only got like 14 carries. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Yes. And you got Stoops lining up as a running back repeatedly. It's not working. It shouldn't work. It doesn't make sense. Um, switching to defense, 
my note changed as the game went on. I have defense lost the first half, then through the third quarter, and then really through the entire game. They were losing throughout the entire game to, a, to an offense in BYU that is not good. They are not a good offense. They are a very bad offense. They got an interception, a pick six, for a 100-yard return. Keep in mind, they're a 100-yard return because they had allowed them to come down deep into the red zone right before they throw that interception. So they're in scoring position. That's basically a 14-point swing probably there. Very frustrating. Um, if we don't get that real quick, if we don't oh, get that yeah. interception, I mean, BYU yeah. takes the lead with Jackson Arnold coming in as a true freshman trying to not only win the game but come back. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's no telling what happens if that interception doesn't happen. So then two things, I guess one more thing on offense, we still cannot figure out when to snap the ball when we're trying to drain clock. We did a better job today. We're still snapping the ball with 10 seconds on the clock, even when we're doing a deliberate don't get to the line of scrimmage. You should snap the ball with about three seconds left. I don't that understand. Repeatedly, that, and it's they just did that. There's, there's no logic to it. No. Like, there's no rhyme or reason. I do, especially, like you just said, when you're blatantly delaying getting to the line, what, what is the reason to go get, at the, go get to the line with 15 seconds left so you can snap it with 10 seconds? I agree. It's just crazy. Another item, special teams. Missed a field goal badly. Kicked the ball out of bounds on a kickoff. Another bad call. Your altitude. Kick the ball down the center. You're probably going to drive it out of the end zone or, or get, get it pretty deep. Um, Gavin, Gab- Gavin Freeman. Gavin Freeman is not the answer at punt return. They've got to give up on that. It's He's not sure-handed enough, and he doesn't make good decisions. And last, Jackson Arnold. Jackson Arnold, they made a big deal this week about how he was coming back, um, going to not burn his red shirt which to me the mistake was made by not playing him throughout the season to get him experience because lo and behold one injury later he has to burn his red shirt and i know you could have said well you didn't expect an injury but yeah but you 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 don't expect an injury but you want to be prepared if one happens and so here again we see lebby not prepared with a backup quarterback he'd be prepared if we had given him true game experience in meaningful snaps throughout the season to where he has his feet under him more surely. And he played really well, all things considered. I don't blame him at all. I think he played really, really well. But he, but he didn't look as crisp as I think he could have if he would have had more experience and we wouldn't have had some pipe dream of keeping his redshirt freshman year alive for I don't understand the cost-benefit analysis on that. So that's sort of my realist rant on several items all related to, um, to coaching. What do you guys have to say to expand on any of that stuff? I don't know that you can say Jackson Arnold played really well. I think situationally coming in, he had he probably probably knew at halftime that he was coming in. So to me, Levy should have been huddled over in a corner with him, going over which plays worked the best, what he feels the most comfortable with. And we came out, and it was the same junk offense we've seen all season for the most part, outside of a couple of the belldozer-style runs that he, he had eight carries for 24 yards, but uh, had a long of 15, which was a great run. Um, to, I don't know that you have to do more than that because you don't want to get him hurt, and then you're really screwed. But it also was back to sideways passing. Uh, nothing really intermediate except for the third down conversions he made that 
that he, looked, he audibled on. Yeah, that he looked good on. Well, the audible came on the final play, on the, the one that right. sealed the game. Um, and a great throw. He missed Nick Anderson on a deep ball, which yeah. I like that call. I think he just had a little too much adrenaline. And why does he have too much adrenaline? Among other reasons, he's inexperienced. Yeah, he hadn't had a chance to be on the field much this season. It was kind of the similar ball that he threw at Tulsa to Nick Anderson on the other on the opposite sideline. But it was so but wide open he today. Just, it was op- Yeah, he just overthrew him by a few few too many yards that that would have been it would have been epic because that would have gave us a two touchdown lead with I don't, what was that five minutes ago probably right. something like that. And there wasn't a lot of like rhythm establishment either. It's like. In, in my mind, I think you establish rhythm with, you know, four or five-yard routes, like sit-downs. It's not the sideways passes no. with no, one's, no one defending or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's throwing the ball vertically down the field, even if it's for short yardage, to get you in a zone. And we didn't see that. So, I mean, it, it's almost like... The rhythm wasn't established, so Lebby said, we're, we're going we're gonna to be running a lot with you and... That needs to work. And they also didn't use Drake anywhere near as much this game. He ended up with, I think, four catches for 63 yards, and a lot of it was on the first drive. Um, Stogner had a big third down catch on uh, in the first half. Never went back to him the rest of the game. Underutilized we, after we a week bragged, where we We bragged so used. much on how good of a job they did using him over the middle last week to set up everything else, especially the run game. And then you throw it to him one time on a third down, and then you don't go back to it. And then uh, Sawchuck had 22 carries last week. He, this week he has 14 for 7.6 a carry. And Walker had another six, maybe? Walker had, had five. Five, five and averaged five yards a carry. So your two running backs, one averaged five, five yards a carry, and the other averaged 7.6. And you, you just didn't run the ball enough. Yeah, and that's just like if you're a basketball team and you've got a guy who's shooting 60% from three-point range, the answer is have him shoot the ball more. Yeah, feed him the ball. Feed him the ball. And, and yeah, that average is going to fall down, because, but he's still getting production. And if you, if you look at the course of this game, it's almost the kind of game you'd have in a championship type of environment where you're going up against a very, very, very good opponent and you know you can't go back to the well over and over again. They go away from things that are working as if they're jinxed or something. It you know what helps a, an inexperienced quarterback coming in the game? What's that? The run game. Ah. Hmm. Not, not that you have to come not the out, wide receiver hand it off run first game. down, second down, and then you're behind the sticks, but mixing it in there where, where you get him comfortable, even just taking snaps with a crowd, yeah, you know, there's absolutely. The, the, I don't think the stands were full. I looked on SeatGeek before the game. No. You could have bought tickets for seventeen dollars, shockingly. Um, but this, it was still a pretty loud crowd on TV. And it's a bad, it's a rough environment. And to, get, to get you comfortable, it's not the sideways passes. It's run the ball and maybe some intermediate eight to ten yard throws. So I, I think those are great points, um, and it is just showing you yet again we're leaving potential. Um, that we have on on the field, leaving points on the field, keeping letting opponents stick around in games. It has already cost us a couple times this season. It could have easily cost us today. Very frustrating. A lot a lot to criticize and work on. Um, but it's late in the game or late in the season to be doing that. Um, I don't know. It's 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 very frustrating and. All of it has got to be a negative reflection on this coaching staff at one level or another. They've got to get better. They've got to get a lot better. Um, 
we, we circle back to Lebby, uh, this is kind of a regression quickly back to the mean of who he is. Uh, my question would be, is Dylan Gabriel going to come back to college and follow Lebby to his next job? Uh, what, what do you guys think about that? I think, I mean, and it's something we, we were talking about, the possibility of Dylan coming back uh, in the midweek. And um, I, I think that if he comes back, it's not going to be at OU. But if, Je if Jeff Lebby leaves, I mean, it works beneficially for both of those guys. Um, one of you guys said it uh, during the game when we were discussing it. Dylan isn't going to want to come back to a different team and learn a new system. So what's the best answer? Hey, Jeff, you, you want me to come and be your your quarterback and have one more year together. So um, I think it. I think it's a in the realm of small possibilities that we're talking about. It's a strong small possibility if that makes That's sense. That's good. I, so. that I mean, the sense. offense scored 24 points against a defense that was horrible. Absolutely horrible. That was one of the low performances that in terms of points that they've given up all year. It was by far the most points they've scored in the Big 12. Um, Maybe the most points they scored all year. I think they scored no, 27 against Tech. They scored 27 okay. against Tech. But, I mean, huh. still. Tech. Texas Tech, okay. Yeah. No, they scored 35 against Cincinnati. Okay. Another pretty poor 27 team. 27 against Kansas. Okay. But, I mean, Kansas scored 38. Um, Cincy 27. TC scored 44. Texas scored 35. West Virginia scored 37. Iowa State scored 45 on them. And here we are, 31 with seven of that being – a pick six. Mm -hmm. I just don't like it, Steve. What you brought up earlier in the pod, or right off the bat, with playing on the road and not not playing well. I, Jeff Levy looks like he completely has he has two different playbooks. He has a home playbook and a road playbook. Yeah. And it's just what we saw today is a night and day difference from what we saw. I mean, I know he it, from the get go he was trying to throw the ball down the field and and get get guys open down the field, but. That also came at the cost of not running the ball as much with Gavin when when he is touching the ball, like we, he's averaging 7.6 yards a carry, feed the guy. And if, it's, if, it, if it starts not working, then throw the ball. But <clears throat> the blocking was there. He doesn't know how to today. balance it. It's just so, it's so odd. <laughs> Sexton started a right tackle because I guess um, Guyton's still out. Yep. He was suited up on the sideline. But Sexton looked like a road grader out there when we were ran the ball. Um, I think he got he got beat on a pass play on a pass protection a time or two, but running the ball on the right side looked way better, and um, Sawchuck's vision looked back oh, to normal, really good. And yeah. let's just go away from it completely. It makes perfect sense. It was so frustrating, and it it does come back to what we've been criticizing about Levy about he cannot sequence drives, he seemingly can't sequence. A, a game plan yep. within drives of what he wants to accomplish and what he it, it's like he's not looking at the defense it's like he's not looking at what has been working and what has worked with other teams against the team he's playing they're not throwing I, I, I don't know this for a fact but I'll wager big money they're not throwing something radically different at us defensively than what we otherwise are seeing on a very regular basis with all the game film that BYU put out so far this year. And that's year. the thing, too, is like early in the game, it looked like they were dropping into coverage a lot more, and Dylan wasn't making decisions or, or wasn't able to um, execute the reads. At that point, start running the ball more. It's just, if we as fans can see stuff like that, I and, you know, I know I'm no college caliber coach, but it doesn't look right. 
Like what we're seeing does not look correct. It's not that complicated either. So it's pretty straightforward it's math. Disjointed. It's yeah. when when they're overloading the box, you throw. When they're dropping back into coverage, you run. All else equal, at least to a high degree, and they're not doing that. So that's that's just a big problem. And then we talk about the thing we always like to come back to in terms of complementary football. We did not play complementary defense today, because uh, other than some turnovers that went our way that we scored 21 points off of, including one that we actually took to the house. Um, we were giving up big yardage, big drives, and not like busted plays, just productive yardage in time after time after time, which puts your offense in a difficult position on the road because they know they have to score yep. um, and can't have a lot of confidence in, in what you're doing and you're not getting stops. And then you're out there for long spans of time, which is also really problematic. So I mean, We even saw it after the pick six. I mean, our defense looked gassed because they're right back out there, and BYU goes right back down the field and scores a touchdown. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's just, it was not complimentary at all. Very frustrating. If you're going to get blessed with the opportunity to get into the Big 12 title game, which requires, obviously, a, a loss by a team, one of them is playing for us right now at Texas, um, you're going to have to play better than this if you play anybody in that game, and especially if you face Texas. So... You've got to get your act together. Now, it'll be interesting to see as we come into the, the week and we look at what um, Dylan Gabriel's situation is, if Jackson Arnold, which I think we would expect if it's a concussion, Jackson Arnold's going to be the starter and going to play the entirety of the game against TCU on here a short week of practice. Um, that, that really is going to tell you a lot about how competitive we're going to be. It'll be interesting to see. I've... I think Jackson Arnold's ceiling is very high right now, though his floor is below Dylan Gabriel's because he hasn't played much. I don't think that was the case six games ago. But now it's more of a concern, and you've got to think he doesn't know the offense well enough to know all of the things that we want to do. Then again, it's what I don't do, know if our do offense— all the things we want to do? Yeah, We've exactly. gone the entire season exactly. wondering where all of those things are, and they're not there. It's the same crap over and over. Well, there's left and right jet sweeps. Yeah. Um, so those rhythm issues are going to be a question. Um, you, you've got the, the timing with your snap and the offensive line, little things like that that we've got a week to work that out if that's the case. Now this is going to be a real test of their ability to get a quarterback ready to play, which has been one of the knocks we've had about Levy for the entirety of his career, going back, of course, to that really painful experience in the Cotton Bowl where he obviously didn't have a backup quarterback ready to go last year. Uh, that's a concern. Now, I guess what we'll see is Dylan Gabriel will go through warm-ups against TCU and then take the shoulder pads off for the, yep. for the rest of the game, yep. and that'll really get TCU rattled. They won't know what to think about that. I, I, I have a lot of faith that Jackson Arnold can, can do what it takes to succeed against TCU. Now, TCU is one of the best passing defenses and the best rush of passing offenses in the conference. They had a blowout monster game today, at least um, passing the ball. Tremendous numbers they put up. So that's, that's a concern for us in terms of getting beat uh, down the field and them able to have more production potentially than what we've seen out of the last couple of teams, at least statistically, they're better than them. So hopefully we can get it turned around defensively to stop that. 
Uh, what is what are you guys confidence level? What, what what is your feel for it right now? In terms of Dylan playing this week or next week? Uh, you can. T- that's I wasn't asking that, but that's an interesting question. So answer that. And in terms of just the oh, team's just the ability to to put a a full game together at home for the the season finale. I mean, first question I, I guess to the my confidence that Dylan will play. I'd say sixty percent. Um, Venables downplayed the injury pretty heavily in the press conference, so I don't know if that's just for, hmm. you know, the sake of doing it or if he, I mean, he said it, Dylan should be back, quote-unquote, pretty quick. So, again, I don't know how much of that. We, we know OU's doctors take concussions extremely seriously. Um, so if, it's, if it is a concussion, I don't, I don't care about the degree, especially on a short week like this. I don't see how he could play, but... I'm saying well, especially 60%. with his history. Yeah, with he, his history, he got a concussion right. last year and missed the Texas game. Yeah, so this is he, at least his second. He had concussion the hit if it's that, a concussion. Uh, that uh, Texas Tech, Pearson Texas hit Tech, on. Reggie Pearson, yeah. hits him on and knocks him out of that game. Um, so, you know, you know, they always the doctors say with concussions, once you get your first one, you're more prone to get them. And now this could be his third in less than two, and really a full season because the yeah. it was the middle of last season, right? So a season and a half. He's Not on his that, possible yeah. third concussion. About 13 months. And at this point, like I said, our doctors have always been super careful with that, going as far to tell players to retire, like Grant Calcaterra. Um, Which, who, remind me, what's he, what's he doing now? What's Grant doing now? Uh, I think he plays for the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, okay. He actually he's ah, still yeah. playing football. Hmm. Weird. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All right. so, he's not firefighting in California. No. Okay. No. Sorry. I, I want to make sure to to that SMU the whole retirement prove that he can play without having concussion issues, and then yeah. m- magically he plays in the NFL. Um, we had an offensive lineman retire. Um, we had a defensive back that retired early. It ended up becoming a coach. I can't remember who that was. What? Uh, Brendan Walker. To, uh, uh, it was. I think it was, was a kid from McGinnis. It was a safety, I can't remember. Anyway, so yeah, we'll we've see. shown that, that more than likely, I would say there's about a 35% chance he plays. Yeah. Um, and like you said, on the short week, you're going to have to try to cram as much as you can. Uh, Jackson Arnold taking all the first team snaps. And hopefully you can tailor the game to what plays that he feels the most comfortable with and not – but you're not going to be able to run him as much as you'd like to because of the, you know, backup situation. So that relates to my other question, which is confidence going into that game. I can't have a whole lot of confidence in Levy to get him prepared to get the game tailored to Jackson Arnold at the same time to get that married up against what will work well against TCU. I think that's too much complexity to ask of Jeff Levy based on what we've seen from Jeff Levy. Well, now, maybe here, I'm wrong. Yeah. But and I, I think I agree with you, Steve, actually. I mean, it's from an overall getting someone else prepared that's not been your number one guy all season or the last two years, really. Levy has shown that he is not good at that. So my another maybe twist to it is if, if Arnold goes out and has a great week in practice, though, and Gabriel is, for whatever reason, a game-time decision, mm-hmm. you don't put Gabriel in. No. Right? I mean, right. You, you say, hey, Gabriel, get well, your, I would get think your week he of rest. And that's actually another point of criticism I was going to mention in the coaching and I forgot with Stutzman playing if Stutzman's really that bad and really hadn't eaten in two days for whatever that means maybe you don't play him yeah he's not necessarily your best player at that position Venables said today he was he was surprised that Stutzman played what is hell what the hell does that even mean 
You're the head coach. Why are you surprised that he's playing? Right. I that's should your be surprised. Decision, and that's not his you. position coach. Yeah. yeah. Like, he's the linebacker. So, right. I, yeah, Did he just say, crazy. are you good to go? Yeah, coach. Every player's always going to tell you they're good to go. Yeah. And it, that's that's supposedly your, your, like you said, that's Venable's group. Yeah. And that has been one of our deeper positions that we have. Put someone else in there and let them practice the prior two days before the game to get them ready, there's no reason that well, that should be up in the air. strength at linebacker, too. Yeah, And exactly. when you watch that first half, Stutzman, whether he was sick or not, was missing the fits. Mm-hmm. So he was literally getting blocked out of the plays, yeah. and the running backs were just going right up the gut. And I don't know if, if he was having brain farts that he should be in a different position because he's used to playing the will this season instead of the mic, and that was just throwing him off. Vice versa, right? Where he's he been playing be. the mic, hasn't he? No, he's playing the wheel. Oh, playing the wheel. Okay. Yeah, he moved from Mike to wheel. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, and then uh, at some point we saw McKenzie and Lewis in there, but the first half it just looked horrible on defense. Yeah, just just joining. Uh, so confidence in winning this next game is going to be low for me because it's not just the horrendous play calling of Levy. It's also I've lost some confidence in this defense's ability to do the thing we're best at, which is stop the run. Because the last couple of weeks we have not stopped the run, and and TCU threw, threw it all around it. I think the guy had 400 yards passing, and for as soft a coverage with, with Gentry out specifically, it really Kenai Walker is doing his best, and that we saw Wagner out there making plays. But also, Dolby had some mistakes also missing today. Plays. Dolby missed some tackles. Um, missed an like, assignment on a critical third down. Yep. So. I, my confidence in even not covering or anything winning this game is low. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's lower than it should be for me. Um, we'll probably be, what do you guys think, maybe a two-touchdown favorite? Um, you don't think so? No. What do you think? I think it'll probably be eight. eight no, I bet it's about 12 and a half. To, so those are to open. Maybe. pretty, any of them are pretty stout numbers that you should win the football game, but we'll see what they actually are able to do. So I would say that our whatever the line is, I have my doubts about us covering it, and that translates into doubts about actually winning the game. If Jackson Arnold has a really good week in practice, that's going to be a real critical decision that I don't have a lot of confidence they'll make the right one in mm-hmm. terms of who should play. Mm-hmm. Um the thing you've got to think about is if the doctors clear you, that's one thing. And obviously that has to happen for Gabriel to play. But he also has to be in the right mindset to be able to play. Uh, it'll be an emotional game. It's potentially his last college football game. And he may be gun-shy after having a big hit that took him out of a game. I don't know. I, I think he suffered from being a little bit too conservative and and fearful in quite a bit of his play throughout his OU career in one capacity or another. So all of that gives me doubts and all of that gives me concern. I'd just like to see Jackson Arnold come out and get, be handed the, the ball, it's your game, and see what he can do. Um, if we come up short, we come up short. Unless, unless Dylan Gabriel is just 100% a go from Monday on. Otherwise, you can't be giving anyone but Jackson Arnold, all of the snaps all in the, practice, All of the right? snaps. All of the snaps. If there's any doubt, yeah. you've got to give him all the snaps. And so just developing the game plan with a guy 
who then takes it back over the starting job, if he wasn't in on all the game plan of actually executing the plays, how good can he possibly be in Dylan Gabriel if he doesn't practice with the, the ones throughout the game, throughout the, the, uh, the week? One so, thing we talked about beforehand was I, when, I, when I had a score in 41, I believe, um, I thought we would have a lot more possessions than our average, and we've been averaging 13 to 14 possessions per game. Today we had 10. Some of it was the defense didn't do what we expected, but also the offense just, again, not no fluidity, no, no rhythm, except when we decided to run the ball, we could go right down the field, and then it was back to throwing it all over the place. Now, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but on one of those drives, didn't we have tremendous success running the ball with big runs, chunk yardage, and more? And then all of a sudden we got stalled out and had to settle for a field goal. Yeah, I yeah. think we had like two. Yeah, we had two big runs at the front end of that drive, and then like you said, I think we got away from that and ended up stalling and settling. You so. can't. You can't do that. You can't settle in a in a game like this um, when it's a tight game and you're back and forth. That may have been the missed field goal drive, actually. Pre-snap penalties killed us again today. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why we're so bad on the offensive line with. Um, False starts. Well, Steve and I were talking about that. I think that may be more of a Gabriel thing. I don't know. Like, Gabriel, and it's a lot more prevalent on the road. It could be rain. It could be rain. I don't know. There, it's, But it was, especially in the front half of the game, uh, in the first half, really bad. So, I don't know. Yeah, that, that, and, again, that, that goes right back to the coaching that we've been talking about. What did we end up with on penalties today? About six. Is that all? I'm guessing. We actually got a holding call, a couple holding calls on our six, favorite day. Six for 45 for us, seven for 55 for them. And, and what, how do you guys feel? I mean, officiating-wise, it wasn't It wasn't that bad wasn't aside awful. from a few things that were, um, why are they looking at that? Why are they reviewing that? They, they failed to review a couple things. One thing that we noted and that some friends noted, and I'm hearing about it, actually I think it was Teddy and Toby on the radio were talking about it, the spotting of the ball was very sloppy. Uh, they were spotting the ball very right. poor early in the game. That little stuff adds up to be something critically bad. There was a, what should have been a targeting look at least. Was that on against Farouk? Yeah, the uh, ear hole yeah, where they looked at they it looked to, to see, see if, if it was fumbled. a fumble. Yeah, it was but that. he clearly, got, clearly caught the yeah. ball. If anything, it would have been an incomplete pass, but it wasn't. It was a completed no, he took, pass. He took three steps yeah. after, so and then it would have been a fumble, but he got well, He's down, down, and down. Yeah, yeah. He, he was down, but then... It was also a targeting at least. Guy, guy comes across the top of him and hits him right in the side of the helmet. Yeah. Knocks him out of the rest, the rest of that drive, which yeah. should have been looked. Yeah. You yeah. should look at it. They didn't even look at That's, it. And we've, we've said that multiple times this year where I don't look at everything if you're going to look at everything. We've seen some stuff that gets looked at that should not get looked at. And, but, and some of the stuff that doesn't, I don't and understand. They'd, they'd already stopped the play to look at the fumble. Mm-hmm. They could go ahead while they're looking at the fumble and look to see that he's getting hit in the head. Yeah, I mean, I, there's a reason I, that he caught the ball and then his butt hits the ground and then he gets hit in the head and you can see he kind of loses control of the ball as he's laying on his yeah, back yeah, because he hurt. just got smoked in the head. And it was definitely face mask at least, which is part of the helmet into his helmet and into the ear hole. So I I didn't understand that. So that brings up some other points of sort of um, stuff around the edges that were worth criticizing. Uh, The ESPN coverage was just sloppy. They were missing kickoffs repeatedly, coming back from commercial and and cutting back from different takes. They 
had few and far between on replays, even though there was plenty of time to do the replays. And they, they were could showing the wrong replays. <laughs> they showed yeah. the wrong replays, and the announcers didn't seem to know the basics of what was happening in many cases, were just completely out, for, out to lunch on, on several comments that they made in critical situations. Like, they don't even know what obviously is going on in the game and what is of concern or what the officials are talking about or whatever. There was one spot where they came back from a commercial and they started showing these graphics of BYU former quarterbacks. Meanwhile, the game is going on, so they put the game in a small box and then they're still showing the graphics for these former BYU quarterbacks like, who gives a crap? We're trying to watch a football game. That's stuff that you do coming back from a commercial after a score and before a kickoff or something like that. When you like got that. plenty of time before yeah. the kickoff. They it's, were never they were like, squeezing an extra commercial in, I think, and this every was time. ESPN, this wasn't the CW. I mean, what, yeah. are, we, what are they doing out there? I, I don't know. It, it was definitely the, the B crew at best. And if you're going to do the picture-in-picture picture for that, do the picture-in-picture and, picture and show me a replay on critical things that were really yeah. interesting to know what, what happened there. We had one. I cannot remember what it was, but we thought it was worth reviewing, and they never reviewed it. To see if they actually picked up a first down. No, it or was something. a touchdown. It was the it was when their quarterback runs around the or is running down the sideline and dives for the end zone. Yeah, and it it for all accounts looked like from the very short cutoff replay that we saw looked like he got in. BYU instead of arguing, it goes and snaps the ball. So I mean, it benefits us in that scenario, but at the same time, it was something that I think. Yeah, I don't. I mean, know. I'm glad it didn't. No, get I'm, I was thinking of one. I, that, that is oh, a one, good one, one for, food, us, but one that, for yeah. us that may or may not have gone our way, but it's, they didn't even begin to review it. I did not understand what was going on there, so I thought that was bad. The other thing was the slipping. That field was horrific. It was a today. joke. That was a so joke. So again, get out of this conference. When we in Texas exit this conference, that will be the largest stadium in the conference. With 16 teams in the conference, a 62,000-seat 62, stadium, mm-hmm. am I right there? 65. 65,000-seat stadium will be your largest stadium. And that field looked like something that was like a, a junior high in Idaho where they had had a huge snowstorm and then it was mud season. It was ridiculous, the slipping. And, and it was not just OU players. It was BYU players as well. They, they did comment on that in the broadcast several times and showed the chunks of of turf that were coming up, but that that was really frustrating to see something like that. It it affects the game in terms of just affecting the quality of the game. Obviously, it could be to one team's advantage or disadvantage as as the you know randomness of the game transpires. So I thought that was a frustrating point. Um, just it's it's easy to get frustrated when you're in a frustrating game and look and find everything that is not up to the level and standard of what you'd like it to be, but I think these things are important. Um, I want to get out of a conference where OU is on a broadcast with secondary broadcast quality in a secondary time slot playing in a secondary stadium and a secondary quality field. We need to get back to excellence, and I think that's what we're going to get in the SEC, of course, but we're going to have to play better if we're going to be competitive in the SEC. Oklahoma State won today narrowly against Houston. Houston had a chance to be heroes for the Sooners, but they um, completely whiffed, just like Iowa State just whiffed on a field goal, and they're only tied with Texas 3-3. to So um, Kansas is beating Kansas State 27-16. That helps, but only if one of the Orange teams loses. So we need we need a loss in one from one of these Orange games, and the, there's, the options are slipping away one by one. 
if we can get into the title game, I'll go back to something we've talked about before to see if the answer's changed. Who do you guys want to play? I want to play Oklahoma State first and foremost. Same. Yep, I think so too. I think Jay has the same answer as well. Um, so, obviously I take my shot against anybody we can. If we don't get into that game and we beat TCU, what's the bowl projection? I think it's the Alamo. Alamo, but would it be against USC at this point? No, I don't think so. I don't so. think no. so. Because they like, lost yeah, today. USC loses again. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I think it'd probably, be, it'd probably be... If, if Oregon and Washington end up winning and, and playing each other, probably looking at Oregon State, um, I would think, in that game. And that's a bit of a challenging game and a concerning game because I don't know if you get up for that game really strong and Oregon State's going to have a lot to play for. That's going to be – that'd be a tough game. Um, USC would be a game I think it would be easy for us to get up for as a team and, and obviously as a fan base. Going to the Alamo Bowl is a bit of a disappointment. Um playing an Oregon State team, I don't think that means a lot for us, and they look like a pretty salty team. I haven't seen what they're doing against Washington tonight so far other than to see Washington scored early. So that's a concern uh, if, if it works out that way. That's, of course, getting us down the road. If we were to play and win in the Big 12 title, of course, we're playing in a New Year's Day Bowl. Um, Oregon State is currently losing 22-10 uh, to 10 against Washington. Okay, so... That probably keeps them in that position then for an Alamo Bowl berth. But turning back to USC, let me ask you guys, they they finished really, really poorly. Is Caleb Williams the most disappointing, underachieving player in the history of college football? He never won a championship of any kind. His biggest victory was against Texas in his freshman year at OU. He won one bowl game coached by Bob Stoops. Be a great trivia question someday. Um, he didn't win a single big game he in his career. He didn't win any real big yeah, game. And you can't even count the Texas game as a big game. Texas was a lower-ranked team, um, and it's a, it was a massive emotional comeback win. So I I don't know if I could say he's the most disappointing player, per se. I mean, well, I mean the most disappointing performance in terms of in terms of in, in, Yeah, in terms of exactly. Yeah, of, but I don't put that on him. I put it on his horrible defense and offensive line. But, I mean, even, even Caleb, though, we were talking about it before the pod, even Caleb has not been the same guy the past two six weeks. weeks. Two last two weeks for sure. Yeah, definitely last two weeks. But yeah. ever since that Notre Dame game where he threw those those interceptions, those three interceptions, and I, he just does not look. Which is interesting. When the going gets tough, how do you respond? He I don't think he responded poorly. very well. Um, he responded tough, by crying, and he what's that? When the going gets tough, you paint your nails. Y- yeah, and maybe and, cry. And cry a little bit, yeah. and uh, yeah, you always have your mother, I guess. Well, some of us do, um, but I don't know. It's I, I agree on both accounts. He, in terms of his achievements, very, very disappointing, um, especially with what we perceive to be a generational talent. And had he stayed at Oklahoma, who knows what he may is be going looking right at now. a second Heisman right now and a a definitely a playoff, definitely a playoff berth with a run. not without offensive coordinator. He's not. But, and to Lucas, to your point, I think a lot of it is detriment to the coaching staff and to Lincoln himself. Yeah, so I think that's the other underachiever is Lincoln Riley. Look at how little he's actually achieved for as much as he's had to work with and as much um, as it seems like he thinks of himself and what others have thought of him in terms of what he's being able to earn 
as um, as a coach. So where will Lincoln Riley go, and when will he go there? I don't know. That's that's a midweek pod. It's not a post game pod to me. I don't I don't want to think about them. Who cares? <laughs> well, <laughs> then be prepared on the midweek to answer the question. Okay. If he'll be the coach at USC in August, okay. I say yes. And if not, where do you think he'll go? Um, and what type of a job he would actually leave for? And one of the things to think about, which is something we talked about on the prior midweek pod that I think is interesting, that we don't know the answer to, but what is his buyout? And we have to think his buyout is pretty sizable. So whoever wants him has got to pay up for that, among other things. But I had a listener question oh, in yeah, the post game. And it is, what can we possibly do at kicker with two games left this season, maybe three? Is, is there really nobody better on campus that could help this team out? Not, not even game? that. Gavin Marshall sitting in the wings, is, does, does he suck that bad? I, I mean, he must. Because the missed field goal today, I don't give a crap of how bad the field was. And I think we said Schmidt slipped on the kick out of bounds regardless He's, he's, 20, he's 24 of 36 for his career. He's, he's that, bad. That's not good enough he's bad. at a top-tier university. It's just so, not. And it, I, I respect Venables for the amount that he has gone to bat for him, but at some point, that doesn't mean anything. At some point, you don't have a kicker who can deliver when he needs to deliver and can kick field goals when you need points. It's not like he's missing field goals with us up you know, by two or three scores, he's missing field goals in critical situations. And chip shots. Chip shots. Yeah. I mean, the only thing difficult about that kick today is that it was not in the middle of the hashes. Yeah. And <laughs> any Division One college kicker should be expected to make that, that field goal. Well, I'll tell you what we can. Any high school kicker The should. question was what we can do or what we will do. What? Well, I know what we will do, and that's nothing whatsoever. It yeah, the answer is nothing. We what, will not do anything different. What could you actually do? Well, I, I think you could look to see who is actually able to kick a ball on your team yeah, and give them a shot at it, especially if we get into a situation where we are up by a nice margin against TCU. Roll somebody else out there and see what they can do in a real game-time situation. I saw an NFL running back kick field goal and an extra point two weeks ago, or maybe last week, I can't remember, because the kicker got hurt. Yeah. And we're talking an, a running back. A that, running back. Well, you're not going to do that, and you're not going to do a open tryouts with one game left in the season. Right. What you might do is go for it on fourth down a lot more and have the mindset that we are going to have to go for it. Therefore, you change the scheme of your offense knowing you have four downs, not three. And so that opens up opportunities, especially if the other team doesn't know that that's your game plan that you, you'll be able to run the ball at times they don't think you'll run the ball, like, say, third and eight, and you'll be able to um, be more aggressive in the right situation at times when they won't expect it. I do have so special, I think that's team, what you do. special teams props today. We had a fake punt. It was successful. It was well executed. Up until they decided to call a pass interference mm-hmm. on two guys that were blocking each other, essentially. Basically engaged, and from what we saw, it looked like for sure the defensive defensive player engaged the offensive player first because he's expecting to be blocking blocking all the way yeah and so maybe the offensive player could have done more to free himself but he didn't so i get from that standpoint how it would be potentially a a pass interference 
But the idea that that is all him, you're just obviously not seeing the entire play, and it's it's bad luck on OU's part that the end of that play looked like pass interference on OU, where the beginning of that play shows that it's a completely different situation. And then they even go to the rules expert, and essentially he says, this is unusual, you, you pretty much never call this, um, both players are doing the same thing to each other, so, I mean, it, it was just a BS call. I want to make one more point on the, the kicker situation. In football and in any competitive sport, if you don't play well or perform well in the tasks and in the job that you're supposed to do, it is, should be a next man up mentality. Yeah. And kickers should not be exempt from that. Mm-mm. I mean, he is he has shown game in and game out in his entire career that he cannot be consistent. So I don't know why we're not giving someone else the opportunity to earn the job. So that's I, a great I think point. that's really frustrating. It's is, something they preach, but it, they don't practice it. Yeah. And, and they don't practice it in quite a few positions, but including and maybe especially at a position like that at kicker that seems to be almost a forgotten part of the game. You absolutely have to have that mentality. And we give too much. We, I think there's... I know it plays a role, especially in that position, but I think there's way too much uh, grace given from the mental aspect in maintaining this mentality with your kicker. It'd be different if it was a kick here or a kick there. When we can't confidently say that our guy's going to be able to hit a field goal, I don't know what else we're supposed to do. Of any kind. Of any kind. Like, just put someone else in there. That's what we can do is just put someone else in there and give them an opportunity. Very frustrating. Good listener question. I, I think it gets to the heart of so many issues. It's not just in the kicking game that we have these woes. It's in a lot of positions where we're just not making great decisions in terms of personnel with coaching. Um, it's frustrating to have such a, a downer post game in a game following a game we won. We are. It's the same damn story for the last three years. Mm-hmm. It sucks since we started this podcast, and oh we, no, it's us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. We're, we're shutting it down, guys. Um, no, You're it, welcome. <laughs> it's. I know it's. We have to talk about a lot of doom and gloom, uh, even in winning situations. But the the product that we're seeing on the field is not worthy of of the praise that we want to be able to give. Yeah, that's really true. Um, we're looking for higher levels of excellence. We are nine and two. But we're a disappointing 9-2. and two. We didn't have to be in this position and, and call it disappointing. And it's really disappointing because we've shown there's a level of expectation that was higher than we necessarily had coming into the season. But they should embrace that. And I don't think they would shy away from it. I don't, I'm almost certain Brent Venables wouldn't shy away from it. He wants and expects excellence. And so when you get better, your expectations rise. But they have to rise, and now you have to go meet those higher expectations. And yep. we're not doing that. Um, very frustrating. We'll see what we are able to do against TCU. We'll see. Black Friday. Uh, Black Friday game, early morning. Um, so look at it this way. There's a chance that what um, one, two, three, four games to end the season and in this complete season will be 11 o'clock kickoffs local time for us. Um, that is, if we get to the Big 12 title and depending on what bowl game we get into, we could get into one of those 11 a.m. kickoffs. We might get a, a bowl game that's a nighttime, which I will be interesting to see likely. how well we play. More than likely, but such a disappointing situation 
to um, be in a position like we're in and have to do things like play these 11 a.m. kickoffs. And you know the cure for that? Going to the SEC, getting out of this conference. Yep. Almost, um, we're almost there. We won today. Uh, it was not pretty, but it was effective. We are 9-2. and two. We have some goals in front of us that are still achievable. What else do you guys have to add to that or subtract? I just want to finish the season strong, and I don't have a lot of confidence it's going to be any sort of dominating performance. Um, but as we've said time and time again, we are the first people who want to be proved wrong in right. in that scenario. So um, maybe we break out the, the home playbook that we used last week um, <laughs> against TCU, and you know they come out, they dominate, and we, we go into hopefully what is a conference championship game. No more true road games left for the Sooners, um, no matter what happens. Uh, probably playing against marginally favorable to favorable crowds in the championship if we get there and in the bowl game. Um, we'll see what we can put together and see if we can make the season one that we remember as something we built upon to get to the next level. I, I'm, I'm fairly confident of that. This is going to be a real critical week to see what we can do with whatever the situation is with Dylan Gabriel. Um, the Jackson Arnold show come Friday, or is it the Dylan Gabriel finale at OU, um, dot, 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 who knows if to be continued. We may know something by our midweek pod. We probably will know something there, and we'll have more to talk about as far as that goes. Thanks, as always, to our post-game sponsor, Tobacco Exchange. Go check them out. Tell them we sent you. Uh, they, they have great discounts, great, um, great uh, selection there at three metro locations. Anything else before the midweek pod coming up? All right, guys. Well, Boomer. Sooner. Sooner.